Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. We got a lot to talk about tonight, and we have a very, very good show. I'm glad you're joining us. Professor Corey Brettschneider will be here to talk about a number of subjects, including Trump claiming he has immunity from any civil suits related to January 6th. I was hoping to have a constitutional scholar to come on to talk about that. Uh, also, how a former member of the Mueller team has outlined the case for not prosecuting Trump and what that argument means and um, whether there's any wisdom behind it. And all night long, we're taking your calls at 866-997-GRIT. And tonight's question is, I want to know what you're angry about. I want to know what is it as we get to the end of July? What is it? Not that you're concerned about, not that you're worried about. I want to know what makes you furious. What makes you pissed? Because today, I, I, I tell you, I keep thinking I can't be angry. I don't want to be angry. I want to control it. I want to just be zen. I want to roll with it. I want to just be... Uh, ahead of the news cycle, and yet the Republican Party finds ways to be vulgar, to be dishonest, to be lethally indifferent to American life with the double talk and jive, with the rank fuckery, and with a grotesque level of hypocrisy. And to begin this story, I've got to go back 90 years ago, 90 years ago this very day, to Washington, D.C., on the 28th of July, 1932. On that day, 90 years ago, a Republican president attacked bonus army veterans, World War I veterans, camped in D.C. U.S. veterans who had survived World War I because he didn't want to help them. Let me explain. This goes back to 1776. That's when we first began having wartime military bonuses in this country. This relates directly to what we've seen happen today in the Congress, where the Senate has told American veterans who suffered injuries via burn pits or Agent Orange, you're on your own. Back in 1776, we began having wartime military bonuses. That was payment at the time for the difference between what a soldier earned fighting in the Continental Army and what he could have earned if he'd stayed home and not enlisted. And it was in August of 1776, right after the Declaration of Independence, Congress had their first national pension law, providing half pay for the life of disabled veterans. Pretty progressive for 1776. A lot of pressure was on there to expand the benefits because the British system had this for soldiers and sailors. The colonial government, they had debts to pay. They didn't want to do much about taking care of veterans. And then there were mass desertions at Valley Forge, which threatened the entire existence of our Continental Army. That made George Washington become a big fan of having pensions for our troops because the troops did not cooperate if they weren't going to be paid. And that's important to remember. So by 1781, most of the Continental Army was out of work, right? A couple years later, hundreds of Pennsylvania war veterans actually marched on Philadelphia, which was our nation's capital in 1781, and they surrounded the State House where Congress was in session to demand back pay. Imagine that kind of protest from troops against our government because they hadn't been treated right. Congress just ran away from Philly. Literally, they went to Princeton. And a few weeks later, the U.S. Army was called on to expel the U.S. Army veterans from Philadelphia. Eventually, around 1788, Congress passed legislation covering pensions and bonuses. But the vets had to fight for it. They had to protest for it. And eventually, Congress extended eligibility on pensions to widows 
1836. So let's fast forward. 1924, President Calvin Coolidge, Republican, that's an important point, he vetoed a bill that would grant bonuses to veterans of World War I. And his rationale, this business-minded conservative, was patriotism bought and paid for is not patriotism. Screw you, vets, from a Republican in power. Congress overrode the veto a few days later, and they enacted the World War Adjusted Compensation Act. Every vet of World War I was supposed to get a dollar for every day they served, up to a maximum of $500. If you worked 50 days or less, $50 or less, you got paid immediately. But all other amounts were issued to the veterans in 1924 as certificates of service, which would mature in 20 years. In other words, once World War I was in process and World War II had started, we'll pay you back. So veterans could borrow like 22% of the certificate's face value from the fund. But then the Great Depression came and Congress said, screw you vets. They increased the maximum value of these loans to 50% of the certificate's face value. There was congressional support at the time for the immediate redemption of the military service certificates. These guys fought in World War I, and we're in a depression now. So if our veterans want to cash in their certificates because they need the money, we should do it. But a Republican president, Herbert Hoover, said no way. And the Republican Congress said no way. They said if we pay those vets for their service now, we're going to have to increase taxes to cover the cost of it. And you can't ever raise taxes on the rich if you're a Republican, can you? They thought it would slow economic recovery. So at the time, there was like 3 million adjusted service certificates issued. This is 1920s, 1931. Uh, combined value of about $3.64 billion. So in January of 1932, about 25,000 unemployed Pennsylvanians, veterans called Cox's Army, they marched on D.C. It was the biggest demonstration ever in history in the nation's capital. You never heard of it, did you? Never heard of any of this in history class, did you? Because they don't teach us about how our vets have been fucked going back to the colonial days, and it's only taken direct action and protest from our veterans to get what they are owed. Because leaders don't give it, just like rights are never given, freedom is never given, benefits are never given. They're all fought for and earned. The troops that came to stay in D.C. were called the Bonus Army. About 43,000 demonstrators, 17,000 of them, were veterans of the First World War. Imagine 17,000 vets of World War I with their families and their kids. They went to D.C. in the middle of 1932 to demand cash redemption of their service bonus certificates so they could have some money in a depression to feed their family. A lot of them had been out of work for years. And most of the Bonus Army... They were called the Bonus Army. They camped in these Hoovervilles on the Anacostia Flats. Uh, it's a swampy area away from Maine, D.C. About 17,000 vets with their wives and children were living in these shelters and crappy tents, and they built just things out of material they pulled from a garbage pile, like lumber, packing boxes, scrap tin. It was a Hooverville. They were living in poverty. They were doing Occupy Wall Street in Washington, D.C., and the superintendent of the D.C. police was working with the camp leaders to make sure they had food, among other things. Everything was going well. So Congress was debating, what do we do? We've got thousands of vets living here. What is the right course of action? On the 28th of July, 1932, 90 years ago today, the U.S. Attorney General William Mitchell ordered all the thousands of veterans removed from all government property. And the Washington police were marched in and they shot at the protesters. And two veterans were wounded and later died. Herbert Hoover had veterans marched on, attacked, and shot. William Hushka, an immigrant to the U.S. from Lithuania, he entered the U.S. in 1917 and joined the Army. Eric Carlson, veteran from Oakland, California, who fought in the trenches of France in World War I. Both of these veterans were later interred in Arlington National Cemetery. So after the cops had killed some vets... That same day, President Hoover ordered the U.S. Army to clear the marchers' campsite. Wait a minute. You're telling me in 1932, we sent our army to attack our own veterans? Yes, we did. Right here in D.C. And the Army Chief of Staff at the time was named Douglas MacArthur. And he commanded a contingent of infantry, infantry, cavalry. They had six tanks. They rolled tanks on veterans, and they drove the Bonus Army marchers and their wives and their children out. 
and they took the shelters and the belongings and they burned everything. They attacked our own vets because they didn't want to pay them what they'd earned. And during this operation, one of MacArthur's junior aides was Major Dwight D. Eisenhower. He thought it was wrong. He thought it was disgusting that the Army's highest ranking officer was leading an action against fellow veterans. And he strongly advised MacArthur about doing it. He later said, I told that dumb son of a bitch not to go down there. I told him it was no place for the chief of staff. And despite it, Eisenhower wrote the official report, endorsed MacArthur's conduct. In his memoir, years later, Hoover said at least 900 of the Bonus Army veterans were ex-convicts and communists. He called our own vets communists. So this was unpopular at the time. It was very unpopular, and many people think it was one of the reasons why Hoover lost the White House later that year in a landslide to Franklin Roosevelt. He opened fire on our own troops. In 1936, Congress finally paid the veterans their bonus, and they gave it to them nine years early. (sighs) That brings us to today. Ninety years to the day in the same city where a Republican president attacked veterans. Today, a Republican Senate attacked veterans. Senate Republicans blocked an entire aid package to vets that had been damaged by burn pits and Agent Orange. And it was expected to pass. You know why? Because two months ago, they passed it. It got 84 votes in the Senate less than two months ago. That's popular, not controversial. But they realized there was an error, so they had to re-vote on it today. Well, what happened yesterday? We know. It was revealed that Chuck Schumer made a deal with Joe Manchin to help bring health care to Americans who are sick, to help alleviate poverty, to help alleviate the devastating effects of climate change, which hurt our nation and hurt business. <laughs> and the Republicans were mad. So even though they had all voted for this less than two months ago, today, the Republicans blocked the PACT Act after it was re-voted on. This impacts three and a half million veterans who could have received access to health care. Their lungs are burned on the inside. But because Joe Manchin made a deal with Schumer to lower the cost of prescription drugs, Republicans blocked a bill to expand health care for 3 million vets who were exposed to toxic burn pits and Agent Orange during their service. 90 years of the day. Just to understand how it happened, here's the timeline. Mitch McConnell was furious when he got the news. So he is going to be all about inflation and the shrinking economy. Here he is, because uh, talking about America's failure is truly a victory for the Sith Lord of the Senate. Minutes ago, new data confirmed what a supermajority of Americans already knew. Democrats have plunged America into a recession. According to official statistics, the U.S. economy just shrank for the second consecutive quarter. Democrats inherited an economy that was primed for an historic comeback and promptly ran it straight into the ground. Of course, working families didn't need any experts or statistics to tell them today's Democratic Party is a walking, talking economic disaster. My God, this is the guy. This is the villain. It's like it's like if Darth Vader fucked Elmer Fudd, folks. That's that's that that's he's Darth Fudd. Be very, very quiet. I'm stopping progress. So today they stopped it today to get even with those Democrats. They stuck it to the vets. These Republicans don't give a damn about veterans. They didn't care about them when Herbert Hoover was president 90 years ago. They don't want to hear dick from them now. They don't care. Veterans are props like children and babies and Bibles and flags. If you are not a donor to this party, they don't want to hear dick from you. And what makes Republicans furious is Democrats passing bills that can help people. You know, if the Republican Party actually devoted themselves to helping non-millionaires, they wouldn't need voter ID. They wouldn't need gerrymandering. They wouldn't need the Electoral College. They wouldn't need to cheat every way possible to win elections because they'd be popular. Because people would appreciate that they fight for them. They don't fight for them. They fight for their donors. What do they give hardworking conservative people? Outrage, umbrage, bullshit to be angry about. Whatever it is any day. Today it was Hunter Biden again, right? Whatever it is, it's always a deflection 
So last night, in retaliation for this Schumer Mansion deal, they blocked the passage of this bill that would help veterans. Take that, Democrats. We're going to fuck over the veterans. This is a bill they supported two months ago. And John Tester, senator of Montana, has had it with these frauds and hypocrites. And I can guarantee you this. I've been here long enough to know that if you want to find a reason to vote against a bill, you can. But the truth is what happened yesterday is they voted against the men and women who fight for this country that want to return back to civilian life and have a normal life. And not only those folks, but their families. We've got some work to do, and we've got to do it very soon. We've got to be very proactive, and we've got to, we've got to burn some shoe leather, folks. We've got to burn up some phone lines. Amen. John Tester. So what makes you angry? What just gets your blood boiling? <laughs> you know, for me, it's almost too much. I don't, like, I don't like dumb people who are mean. You know, I don't mind dumb. We're all dumb in different areas. I, look, I'm dumb, guys. I'm, I'll admit I'm ignorant. For years, I thought G-Spot was a rapper. But I, I went on Spotify. I, I can't find him. I'll, I'll admit I'm dumb. I don't like dumb plus mean. I don't like people who pretend to be Christian and use the religion of my mom and dad to justify cruelty and meanness and white nationalism. And I really don't like people who exploit the service of ordinary Americans who enlist voluntarily to fight for this country, or at least they think they're fighting for this country. Usually they're sent to fight for the economic interests of donors to use the flag to manipulate the public emotion, to get these people into these ungodly wars, and then to not take care of them? Look, <laughs> we always invite you to call us up. And if you're listening live, it's 866-997-GRIT. If you're listening on the John Fuglesang podcast or on, the, on demand or on the SiriusXM app, write to us. But this is what makes me furious. And you know who else is furious? John Stewart who has advocated ferociously for veteran and 9-11 first responder health care. He was in D.C. today. He was really the big story of the news cycle. Take a quick listen. Over lies. They already passed this bill. 84 to 14. It's the exact same bill. They changed one sentence in the House. The sentence in the House they changed was about using rural medical practices for the V.A., which apparently triggered a constitutional crisis and it had to be redone. That's all that changed. Today was supposed to be a celebration, right? We see so many veterans here in DC. Yeah, just it's it just makes the gut punch that much more devastating is that these people all came down here so that they could finally tell the men and their constituents are dying. And they're going to get it done in recess. You know, tell their cancer to take a recess. Tell their cancer to stay home and go visit their families. This is a disgrace. If this is America first, America is fucked. Thank you. And you have to do yourself a favor and watch the video of Ted Cruz and another congressman fist bumping after killing this bill. Celebrating after they blocked a bill that would have given better health benefits to veterans suffering from the effects of open air burn pits. There you have the circle, folks. 90 years ago today, a Republican president attacked bonus army veterans camped in D.C. who had survived World War I because he didn't want to help them. Today, a Republican Senate attacked veterans who've survived burn pits in Agent Orange because they still don't want to help. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Let's get to the phones. I'm John saying Thank you all so much for your patience. Donna in Kentucky, welcome. Hey, John. How are you doing? Hi. I haven't talked to you for a while. I'm grateful to have you back. Well, I've been raging, so I didn't want to call and and rage too much. Okay. Uh, Sometimes it's healthy. Sometimes it's healthy to rant a little bit, but uh, I hear you. Go ahead. Okay. I love your music um, and talking about all of the, the, the oldies. I just love the fact that Joni Mitchell came out on the festival and did her songs. Uh, wasn't it amazing? Was amazing. I've been telling it was just over the weekend, and I've been telling everybody you have oh, to go to YouTube awesome. and watch the entire performance because she it, just sits there in a it, chair, and Brandy Carlisle sitting next to her. I mean, she plays guitar at it, one point, but we after 2015, we never thought we'd see Joni Mitchell on stage again. Oh, and, and it's she just, she was awesome. Yeah. 50 years ago, and she's still awesome. But hearing her at 78 and, sing both sides now after oh, an yeah. aneurysm, and I mean, yeah. it's, guys, it's so moving. You, you just, you so, have to see it. I can't do it justice. She she calmed me down, and that's why I didn't call, because as a veteran, female, and gay to boot, since June the 24th, I've just been raging. Tell me. There ain't no way in hell I'll ever get pregnant, but... But you care about other people. Right. And as a veteran, uh, the the Republic, I wasn't surprised. I've never been surprised what Turtle Man does when he's thwarted. But, you know, the whole... As a veteran... That's what the Republicans do. They they hold, they punish innocent people, John. They really do. I know. And and because he got thwarted over this chips bill, now now Vietnam veterans and the ones that because you know I'm a Vietnam era veteran. I'm a retired. You know, I'm a retired Navy veteran, and yes. I lost friends to Agent Orange and mm. the burn pits and the and the cancers that resulted. God. And, you know, these people that didn't even serve. That's right. You know, I know there's, there's Republicans that did serve in the military, like Joni Ernst, but mm. she wasn't over there. Nope. You know, she sent people over there, but she wasn't over there. I don't think Joni Ernst actually sent anyone over there, actually. She only came into Congress in the last 10 years, but I get what you're saying. Right, right. And, you know, for five decades, Republicans pretend that they love veterans until they don't. Vietnam-era veterans, when they need something, Republicans don't want it. Friends who who sucked into their lungs. Age, I mean, if you don't know what Agent Orange does, if you can believe what it does to vegetation, you can yeah. imagine what it I does. I mean, it's to a lungs. it's a defoliant. It's a defoliant. It's not meant to be in human lungs. Absolutely. And then you know, also to be a female in the military in the seventies. And you're not looked at as a comrade in arms. You're just looked at as a 
entertainment, you know. Well, we, we call you a trailblazer now, but it was a very lonely way to be in the 70s. Right. And then to be gay when you had to lie to serve your country. Yep. And now, as of June 24th, John, we're going back to that. But I want to remind you, know, you of one thing. I know, but I, I want to remind you of something. I okay, know we're going back to see. it. We're going back to it. And we now have something we've never had in this country where women are realizing they have fewer rights than their mothers and their grandmothers. Right. People who, do, people who don't care at all about what Christ talked about in the Bible have committed an unspeakable act on women and on poor people because they've never read the Bible and they think they're just being Christian when in reality they're just trying to please themselves. And if that means hurting other people, they're indifferent. We got to remember, like, this is the modern Republican Party. This, these are the, uh, led by Donald Trump, a guy who lied about donating a million dollars to veterans nonprofits. You know, oh, and, and, I mean, insulted pals, insulted gold star families. But but I just want to I just want to say as bad as it is. It is bringing out the best in so many people. What we're seeing now, the resistance, the backlash to this, I I have to believe that good will come from all this, that greater awareness, that greater respect, that greater understanding will come from all the incredible positive action we're seeing. I hope, John. I got got a shirt that I, I wear that veterans are not suckers or losers. It just angers me that a party that calls themselves patriots right on that that advertises themselves as patriots and waves the flag don't are are the farthest thing from patriots because exactly. they hear nothing about us and, and and I've changed and since June the twenty fourth I've changed my Facebook image to an upside down flag. Yep. That said, we are not okay. But can I tell you something, Donna? We got to hit a break, but I need to thank you for your service in the armed forces and for your service now because it's people like you who make me proud to be an American. And just take the anger. Have the facts. Have command of the facts. And when you debate these people, don't ever hate them. Just show show how they are indifferent to the suffering of veterans. They are indifferent to the suffering of the poor. And there's more of us. There's more people with empathy than there are selfish fascists. Donna, thank you so much. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am so pleased to welcome our next guest. I'm, I'm really, really dazzled by what she does. Erica Totten is the Secretary of Community Healing Network, known as CHN. They're leading the global grassroots movement for uh, emotional emancipation to end a brutal centuries-old brainwashing association between black people and a sense of inferiority. Um, this was launched in 2006. CHN mobilizes black folks across the world to heal from and get rid of the lie of white superiority and black inferiority. 
um, as one of the first CHN Emotional Emancipation Circle facilitators trained in D.C., Ms. Totten has helped carry forward their work by creating and facilitating many transformative healing spaces, which seek to help African-Americans process racial stress and trauma while curating experiences based on what they call embodied liberation and collective joy. You might have let, heard about her in Rolling Stone, Al Jazeera's America Tonight, The Washington Post. Um, her work to me is deeply spiritual and deeply political at the same time. It's really a pleasure to welcome Erica Totten to the show. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so fascinated by what you do as the child of, uh, of ex-clergy. Um, before I even dive into it, I want to ask, how are you? How's your family doing in this uncertain time? And how has the pandemic affected your kind of healing activism? Yeah, well, thank you for, for asking that. Um, that's a, a deep affirmation of my humanity. And so I appreciate you asking about my family um, during this time um, and this global family that we're a part of, really. Um, it's been difficult. There's been, um, we've had folks transition or pass over the course of the pandemic, family members, um, unfortunately, mostly old, uh, younger people in our family. Um, and so dealing with the, um, the emotional impacts of that, um, having to, um, to hold space for so many people, not just in my immediate family, but um, folks that are experiencing, experiencing this collective grief um, and so having spaces um, like emotional emancipation circles, having spaces to be able to process, you know, the the spiritual and political that we see um, that's that's kind of having this um, this lie on full display um, yeah. and how that impacts all of us. And so um, we've been healing. We've been healing. And that so that hasn't stopped. We've shifted how we gather um, to, to keep folks safe. Um, but, um, but yeah, we are, we are alive and we're here and shifting so much. So thank you for asking that. To already be so invested in healing people who've been damaged by the historic, as you would say, colonization of the mind that has gone with the black experience in America. And then to be hit by a pandemic where African-Americans who are propping up this economy in service jobs, so much so that they began calling them essential workers, are so disproportionately affected by the plague. It just seems like it's a layer of very new trauma on top of centuries of unaddressed trauma. Yeah, it to, to be called essential, um, particularly, in, and we can peel that back of um, the sense of servitude, being essential, sure. right? Um, and connected with this lie of black inferiority of um, black folks have always been expected to put themselves at risk or to see themselves as last for the service of other people. And so it was um, really dis disheartening, I would say too, for sure, and, and rage inducing um, to be called essential and then also um, the expectation is that we continue to put our lives at risk and also not be taken care of, um, also not have a, a living wage. Um, and um, yeah, all, all of that. And so um, we we have have seen the how language is used and to to manipulate. Um, and so it's something that. Um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to continue, particularly in the pandemic, um, to see, you know, that we were still murdered by the state, even in a pandemic. Um, that was something that was <sighs> devastating to see that, that the, the machine still operates in the way that it is. It, it was designed to because yeah. we are seen as, as inferior, as inhuman. Um, yeah. And so when I think about the work that we do at CHN to be able to um, support folks and being able to heal from the emotional and psychological trauma of the lie of black inferiority, um, it's so important because we have to have a space to be able to name the lie and the lies impacts. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that during this time of stillness in this pandemic, um, a lot of folks that refuse to see it before, folks of privilege and those who are 
within the African diaspora, there was no turning, turning away from it. You had to see it. You had to deal with how it breaks your heart. Um, and so the circles that we hold, either through the rapid response and Ubuntu healing circles, um, the emotional emancipation circles that are really curriculum based to help folks be able to have a politicized understanding of the lie. Yes. Right. And also yes. be able to right to name that spiritual impact as well. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because yeah. what, what made me crazy was the pandemic began. And we all were locked down. And a lot of us cared about our neighbors. A lot of us cared about strangers. We sheltered in place. We wore masks. We social distanced. And then it was around April of 2020 when the medical data began showing that African-Americans were being disproportionately affected by COVID. That was when the White House at the time began saying, we got to get back to work. As soon as the news came out, that black and brown people, many in the service industry, were being hit the hardest and suffering the most, that was when reopen America became the mantra. And, and so I, it's another example of how people can be programmed to just believe they matter less. And I know that CHN is dedicated to addressing and healing the, yeah. the lie of black inferiority. I, I come from a, a Catholic church. And I've learned a lot in my life about how religious dogma can be designed to instill a sense of inferiority to control people. I think many people from many different backgrounds, a lot of, a lot of Caucasians, would really benefit from your insights. Um, anyone who's ever been made to feel like they were less than and didn't realize it. And I'm curious uh, about your own growth and development and evolution in this area. When was the one of the first times you realize that you had been taken in by this centuries old lie yeah. that you were inferior because of the color of your skin. You know, I tell this story sometimes in um, emotional emancipation circles. And when I uh, facilitate um, spaces like these for youth, there was a time where um, I grew up in the DC, Maryland area. Um, and um, I would spend some time with my father um, and he worked in the hospital in radiology um, and lived in this beautiful apartment building. But because he worked um, late, sometimes there was a babysitter um, that I would stay with in the apartment building as a white woman. Um, but her husband didn't know that she was babysitting black children. And so, right. So if he would huh. come home or she would you know, get the call that he would be coming home early, I would have to leave and, and sit in the lobby right. and be with the receptionist. And so there was a moment and I can't remember necessarily put my finger on it, but there was something that I was experiencing. And this is when I was uh, living in, in Adelphi, Maryland um, with my dad, something that I was experiencing in that school setting um, had me coming to my babysitter and I would go into the bathroom and she would have these gold handled scissors and I would cut my hair and shove it down the sink. So there was some messaging that I was getting wow. about my hair um, not being beautiful, that oh. um, yeah. it was some, something along those lines. So my, my brain, and this is the power of the brain, that would block some things out to, yeah. to not allow you to remember. But this part That's I do That's how shame remember, works. That's shame. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And so how, how, what happened was, as I was putting my hair down the sink, with black hair, when you put water on it, it expands. Mm -hmm. And so the sink got clogged. And so when he was unclogging the sink, he saw all this black hair and found out that his wife was taking care of black children. And so I was never able to go back. And so there, that was my first memory of experiencing something is wrong. I'm being told that something is wrong with my hair, something is wrong with me, the way that it naturally grows out and I need to cut it off. I actually need yeah. to get rid of a part of myself and shove yeah. it down the drain, right? <sighs> that was the first part. And I may have, I had to be maybe in the third grade. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's amazing because this Republican running for the Senate in Arizona, Blake Masters, um, and he's an imbecile. And last week he he came out and just said, you know, Black people are responsible for all the serial gun violence in America. He said it just last week, 2022. Republican candidates are still saying black people are responsible, not the availability of guns, not poverty, 
black people are responsible for the gun violence, not the mass shootings that 22 year old white guys carry out. Mm -hmm. And it's all about what what we call, you know, colonizing the mind and decolonizing the mind. And I heard you say something that really stayed with me, which was that every cell and and this is something that every white guy should listen to. Every self-limiting belief is related to a system of oppression. That's right. Everyone. So if we look at it, and this is what I, uh, what I appreciate about the curriculum that is that we have of emotional emancipation circles, along with the pledge that we have, the community healing days, we are consistently reinforcing, reinforcing this understanding that that the root of of these self limiting beliefs is the lie of black inferiority. So yeah. systems of oppression sprout out of that, but this this lie is the root. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to have us to have a space and understanding of if we look at um, anti-black racism. Right. So if I am a person who um, who has been told consistently, I need to stay out of the sun because I don't want need to get darker. Right. The, so if I believe that about myself and I don't allow myself to be out in the sun, that is rooted in a system of anti-blackness. So I didn't come into this world believing this about myself. There were systems told me that that this is who I am, that this is something that is wrong with me. And so being able to, to, to break free when we talk about emotional emancipation is being very clear that we didn't come in this world believing it. There were systems that told us this and we have to break free from those. We have to be able to identify them. Every child taught that the white doll was more beautiful. I think we'll understand exactly what you're talking about. Let me ask the dumb question. Can you tell me how an emotional emancipation circle works? I know we're talking about uh, therapy here and I'm curious, how does it work? and, And what is the toughest hurdle for you to actually get people into these kind of therapeutic circles? Yeah, so... Uh, emotional emancipation circles, though it can feel therapeutic, it isn't therapy, right? right? So though, though I train therapists, I'm not a therapist by choice. Yes. Um, so as a community healer, these spaces are made to feel more accessible and not clinical, that this is a space that you can come in and not have to explain racism to other people, that you are with other people who get it. Yeah. And so in these spaces, we are sharing our stories so what are the, the things that we had to to deal with on the job? Right. Um, being constantly overlooked as a black woman, but also being stolen from ideas being stolen from um, being able to, you know, just have experienced street harassment or harassment from yeah. police or whatever, whatever that might be. So to have a space where you can come um, that your anger is valid. Right. And we're also going to teach you about essential emotional wellness skills to help you not have that anger stored up in your body. Because what can happen is, and we know when you have anger, particularly if you're dealing with PTSD or anything like that, you can then turn that anger toward people that you love. Amen. Right. And so to be able to, again, be in this space that I am a human being who is valid, right? My emotions are valid. Um, so me um, kind of affirming my humanity, I can acknowledge that I'm angry and not turn that toward the people that I love. But I need tools. Right. And I need to be able to say that I'm angry. I need to be able to curse. I need to be able to express my rage about yeah. all of this. Um, and so we we do that. We share that and also create a process of how do you identify the lie? Right. How do you identify the lie of black inferiority in your own life? How do you internalize or how do you identify internalize anti-blackness, right. internalize sexism and, and all of the intersectionality of all of that? Right. Um, and then what do we do with it? How do we move toward liberation? And we have to be able to name the lie and embrace the truth of our humanity. So there's a lot of this. These are decolonizing circles. As we yeah, talk seriously. About. I mean, it's a lot of deep psychology. And what does liberation yeah. even look like? I mean, I, I'm right. curious. That's the question the- I love helping people um, explore. Well, because it's different for everybody, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm curious, how does it break down in terms of gender? I would imagine that some of the gentlemen that you work with uh, are dealing with a very different kind of weight than some of the women you work with. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a weight and it, yes, it is different. Um, and I think um, what also happens in those circles of, of folks are able to name their own privilege within Blackness as well, that we, again, um, as, as uh, Audre Lorde said, we are not single issue people because we don't live single issue lives. So we have to be aware of how we are oppressed and the various privileges that we hold. So it is when we have um, men come to our circles and it's not a lot of them. Um, right. More so um, in the circles that I facilitate. Now, this is just in the circles that I facilitate. The circles are all over the world. We have circles in Cuba, in Connecticut, in Nigeria. We have them in D.C. We have them in Atlanta. We have them everywhere. So this is a global grassroots movement. Um, and so we have trainers everywhere. So, again, for my circles, it looks a bit different. Um, so I have... Um, folks who are gender nonconforming. We have trans folks, I identify as a black queer woman. And so we're looking at all of all of that um, and holding space for all of that. So we're having those conversations to get to the root even of how has colonization impacted all aspects of our lives, our sexuality, um, uh -huh. what we see is beautiful, how we look at uh, families. So like kind of debunking the whole idea of the nuclear family how do we create chosen family? Um, and that's all in alignment with emotional emancipation. I mean, to me, I see it less like you're decolonizing the mind, you're dismantling systems of oppression, you're creating spaces of liberation, you're a mom on top of all of this. Um, I'm wondering, what are, the, what are the most common false narratives and stereotypes that have wounded people that you encounter? I mean, I know under the umbrella of this, this lie of black inferiority, but that's a very evil umbrella with a lot of different tentacles. Sure. I th one of the things that immediately comes to mind just in the spaces that I've been holding um, recently is that we move through this world alone, right? That we are just alone, that there is no one that cares for us or loves us or whatever it might be. And the, us, us moving in this path toward liberation, um, that it has to be hard, that it has to be a struggle, that we can do this work in connectivity. Um, and that's why so many of the partnerships that we have with Community Healing Network are really a model for that. Um, and because this is a global movement, we have to have spaces to talk all across the African diaspora. So to, yes. to have that idea that the things that I am dealing with um, as a woman in America are different than what my sisters are dealing with in Brazil, right? To, to say that we are separate from the diaspora is something that is so completely heartbreaking um, that really, again, is at the root because what we've been taught as Black people that Africa is inferior, right? So it goes right yeah. down to that, yeah. right? It's and true. so to 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 be shifting that and to 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 have a global grassroots movement that is focused on healing. Um, and that's one of the things that we're really doing now with um, we have folks now um, that are in Ghana actually right now to be a part of the global circle for reparations and healing um, to really that. So we are sharing this message about identifying the lies and sharing tools on how to identify the lie right now in Ghana. Um, and so it's so powerful to see that the things that we are sharing here and our unique experience here are also valid that the tools also work wherever yeah. we go because we are all still dealing with colonization so i, I want to give a, an example of this something you did that i i found really fascinating you did an instagram live and you explained how you have over time had to remove the word lazy from your vocabulary yeah. Can you break that down for us a bit? I, I found it to be really, really inspiring. Um, and I, I think a lot of people will find uh, a lot of powerful resonance in your experience in the journey to striking that word from your vernacular. Yeah, for sure. So when I think about the word lazy and how, um, how it has impacted my life, um, more often than not, it has been, I've been called that um, when I am resting or I have called myself that when I am resting. Um, and then thinking about what I'm resting from, I'm resting from having to interfere in trauma in my home, trauma in my community, 
um, trauma um, and education system. So I think about that and um, how it showed up for me in adulthood is having a, a deeper understanding of what we've been taught, particularly as black women, of how we always need to be working. We always need to be yep. proving our, our worth that literally in this country, and this, this is connected with um, our ancestral trauma, right? That our literal worth and value is based on what we can do and produce for other people, yeah. right? So how many uh, babies can you have, right? How, how much can you work? Like all of those things and knowing that I carry and so many of us carry that ancestral trauma with us, it shows up when it's time for us to rest. And so not only is that anti-blackness that, that we are holding, right, it's also the impacts of capitalism, right? Because yeah, if yeah. I have so if one of the lies, right, yes, is yes, that yes. my worth, right, if one of the lies is my worth and value is based on what I can do and produce for other people, then that is something that was taught to me. Yeah. And that was something that, that we carry as a part of ancestral trauma. So debunking that is moving again, moving toward emotional emancipation, identifying the lie rooted in black inferiority. The lie that moves us toward emotional emancipation is knowing that I am worthy just because I am. Yes, There's not shedding or produce. Right. Yes. You're, you're not you're not denigrating or getting rid of the desire to be of service and caring and kind to others. Right. That's always there. Yeah, I work hard. Yeah. But it's taking away measuring all of one's self-worth by how right. constantly productive and overachieving there are. I want to quote you because I love this quote you wrote. Uh, you said, rather, I have never in my life met a lazy black person ever. I've met exhausted ones. I've met folks who are experiencing so much trauma, it's exhausting their nervous system. All they can do is sleep and rest. Um, they're dealing with so much trauma, multi-generational trauma, psychological trauma, historical trauma. Not one of us are lazy. We're just holding a lot of shit. That's the truth. And yeah. that's, the, again, the importance of emotional emancipation, right? We have to be able to, to turn toward each other and ourselves to do that healing work. When we talk about vicarious trauma, um, psychological trauma, generational trauma, everything it is that we have endured, there has not been something completely directly focused on tending to that lie. Yep. The root of the, that lie of black inferiority is at the root of everything. And yeah. so if we are, for example, talking about self-care, I might step on some toes. If we are talking about self-care and we're not talking about systems of oppression, Right. If you if you are in the wellness space and you are providing a healing space or therapeutic space for black people or non-black people of color um, and specifically black people, if you're not talking about white supremacy and the impacts on our emotional well-being, you are doing yeah. it wrong. Right. And so you cannot um, deny the impacts on our emotional well-being of the systems of oppression that we have to navigate all the time and to know that. You know, we are not in this sense, um, you know, people like to dehumanize black people in so many different ways of saying that we are magical and we are resilient and all those things. <laughs> we made a way out of no way for sure. Yeah. But there's a quote that says, you know, people want our rhythm, but not our blues. Right. And so. Yeah. To be, right. And so to yeah. be able oh, to oh. have that understanding is so important that you can't just extract from us. And because that is also a way that you dehumanize us. If you are uh, going to I, yeah. extract, <laughs> right? How are you investing in our healing? Right. And it's that's the so important true. piece. I, there, and by the way, there's no Caucasian version of this. There's no Caucasian version to help decolonize from the culture of white supremacy that white folks are born into. And obviously, we there know folks, how much there, drama there is that one. takes. There's, yeah. Yep, there's one that I know of um, called Healing from Internalized Whiteness. Um, from the Wild Seed Society. Okay. And so folks are doing that work. Um, and that, that work is held by Sandra Kim. Um, but Healing from Internalized Whiteness is, is a course that folks are, are, have been engaging with for, for quite a few years now. Um, right. So they're out there. Um, but this one in particular, um, I don't know if, if that is necessarily global, like how, how big the reach is. But this piece <laughs> here that we're focused on, it should be global for sure. But this piece is so important 
um, because we are the ones that are most impacted and the black black inferiority is at the root. It is such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I, I have been learning about you and your work, uh, which some might call a ministry. And honestly, I think what you do is so spiritual and so political at the same time. Um, how can people learn more about what CHN does and the Defy the Lie and Embrace the Truth pledge campaign? Absolutely. Uh, I would say you can check out um, our website, communityhealingnet.org. You can follow us at chnworld underscore on Twitter um, and at chnworld on Instagram. Um, so checking out our site, joining our mailing list, um, being aware that when we have community healing days on the third weekend of every October, um, that when you see that those uh, blue, the sky blue shirts and those hanging around, um, that we are really focused on healing from the pain of our blues and moving toward the sky blue of more possibilities for our humanity. And so there's lots of different ways for you to, to join us. So check out our website and check us out on social media. Erica Totten is the Secretary of Community Healing Network. It is such a pleasure to have you. You can follow Erica at To Live Unchained on the Twitter. Really a pleasure. Thank you for your work. It's really, Thank really inspiring. So and as a guy with, with, with internalized and deeply externalized whiteness, I learned a lot. Thank I'm really pale. It's, it's awful. But I learned a lot. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you so much. We will be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. It's going to be open phones from now until midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific Coast. And I'll be thanking you guys for your patience on hold. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Jeff in Illinois, thank you for your patience on hold. Hello. Hey, John. Um, I just want to remind everybody about Working Dogs for Vets, volunteer Please. organization, and all the money donated goes directly to the, goes directly to the cause. Uh, everybody's a volunteer. If I remember right, there's no paid staff. And um, I'm a Vietnam veteran also. And suffer thank from you. PSD, still do. And um, I... Uh, I kind of learned when I first came back that I didn't think the VA was going to help me. That's where I learned about service dogs and uh, learned about different things like meditation and uh, different medicines that uh, VA doesn't use. So, uh -huh. um, you know, there's hope there because it's been a long time. And, I, you know, it's something that's affected me all my life. And tell me so, something. Um, tell me something. With, with, with gratitude to you for your service, I mean— uh, tell us how the dogs have helped you, because I think a lot of people hear that and they have a very simplistic idea of what that entails. Well, my my uh, my dog was a was a dual PTSD and also my diabetes when my uh, when I would run low on blood sugar, you know, my blood sugar would go low or something. And uh, what he does is uh, what he did at that time was uh, he would just come up next to me and put his head on my lap. Or else, uh, he was a small dog, and he had this um, he had this thing where he acted like one of those circus dogs that would get on their hind legs and move their, you know, pedal with their front feet. Okay. He would do that. When I see him do that, it would always make me laugh and um, kind of lighten my mood, and I'd stop yelling at people. And, and, uh, and 
and, and tell me about some of the some of the drugs the VA. Are you interested in talking about some of the drugs the VA doesn't prescribe? Oh, uh, um, the names I don't remember the names too much anymore. The one I take now is uh, Cymbalta. Okay, uh, and, and what that is is that's uh, an analgesic and a uh, SSI inhibitor, which kind of calms you down a little bit and uh, helps with like. Like, uh, I got a bad back, so it helps with the pain on my back. And um, uh, and it's it's, pretty, it's a lot better when you go into, like, a, I have to get DOT physicals and stuff. And when you put that down there, you know, you can always hide it as, you don't put it down there as a uh, mood-altering drug. You just put it down there as it helps my back. Right. So you kind of hide what you're doing because. Of course. Uh, it's not, the DOTs come up with all kinds of strange rules. No, I get it. I get um, it. But I, yeah. So, so can yeah. I ask you the million dollar question, Jeff? Because mm-hmm. as someone who's you know suffered beyond your time at, in combat, I how did it make you feel to hear about what happened in our Congress in our Senate when the Republican senators who just two months ago supported the PACT bill, who who just two months ago. We're, we're there saying, no, we've got to provide extra resources to help our, our veterans harmed by burn pits and Agent Orange. I mean, it's not like, will it pass? It got 84 votes in the Senate less than two months ago, but they had to come back and re-vote to correct an error. And now, suddenly, they're against it because they think this is owning the Dems. I mean, as a veteran, I, I can't even imagine the offense you must feel. Well... I learned a long, long time. As a matter of fact, just when I when I came back in 1975, when I when I was uh, resigned my commission, um, I never voted for a Republican. I voted for Jimmy Carter and never turned back. Yeah, I would never. And I take a little offense when people say my Republican friends because they're not your friend. I work with a bunch. We're teamsters. And I work with a bunch of people that were union, and they they support Trump. They support Republicans. And I look at them, I keep telling them, look at what they're doing to you. They don't give a shit about you. Yeah. And, but I learned that way back in 1975. And like I said, I've never voted for a Republican. Um, Jimmy Carter was the first president I ever voted for. And, um, you know, I just never looked back. Is it just, that, just, is it just I, that some guys have a penchant for authoritarianism? Because, I mean, I talk to some vets who are really, really informed. They're disgusted at the Republicans or, or at both parties. And then I've talked to other vets who are just, you know, strong man all the way. doesn't matter how much he's screwing you over. It's just hating the liberals is, is the drug. It's the one thing that unites a lot of people. Well, it's... Um my my problem was well, even when I was in the service at near the end of my uh, tour, um, I could see that 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 it's a mind control game. All they want to do is is control what mm. you think, what you do, and when you step out of the box and you look at what's really going on, uh, it just takes. Not everybody's able to do that. Hey, I don't want to think for myself. You tell me what to think, Why and um, you know, like I said, it's it's. You know, I have a uh, Battlefield Commission uh, Combat Infantryman's Badge and um, 50 years of PTSD. Wow. And it's just, uh, it's just, um, you know, when I was getting treated by the VA, they used to give me two fistfuls of medicine a day, oh, twice God a day, damn. excuse me. God damn. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. One, one to help, one to help calm me down, one to help pick me up. It, it's just a game of battle. I felt that at that time that there has to be better ways. And that's where I learned about transcendental meditation. Uh, I read a book from Tom Hartman called Walking Your Blues Away. That book's amazing. I, I have thought, that book. That book's amazing. It is. And it's, it, it, you, don't think, you don't think about it until you read it and start seeing what, how it makes you feel. And when I would come yeah. back from my walks, I would be so at peace. Yep. And that was, the, that was my biggest problem is I never could find peace. I never could find uh, time for myself, you know. Uh, I've always, I've always served my union. Um, we were UAW drivers, and um, uh, the first UAW local just for truck drivers. And um, I've always served them on executive board, committee men, safety committee men, uh, different things like that. And um, and my dog, <laughs> and it was just. Jeff, uh, 
I, yeah. I, I'm so honored that you call, and I'm, I, I thank you for your service. I got to get some other calls, but before I, I do, let me just ask you, how are you doing? I mean, it's 50 years overall. How uh, are you getting by? I, I have my days, and uh, I have my days that are, that are bad. Uh, they're, they're becoming less and less because um, I don't know if the trauma is fading away or, or what it is, but, you know, in the days that, it, that it's bad, um, uh, I have a new service dog. Well, I have a dog now that we're training to be a service dog. Hmm. And um, it, it's you, it's funny that, um, like, one time he pulled real hard, hurt my back, and um, he uh, came back to me and started walking real slow right next to me and stuff. And I said, it, it's just amazing the way the dogs can feel what happens to you. It's so true. Like, they, they tr- train dogs that can pull wheelchairs uh go out and flush a room before before a veteran enter, enters because he doesn't like the dark or he's afraid somebody's hiding in there amazing um diabetes amazing. yeah it is and uh, if you look up that uh website workingdogsforvets.com thank and you donate to them like i said every dollar goes to them brilliant and um it's it's amazing Jeff, thank you so much for the, your call, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, it's just uh, very inspiring to me and so much growth and so much strength. I'm really honored. Thank you. That's what I like about calling you. You make me feel better, too. Are you a service oh, shucks. dog? <laughs> <laughs> God, no. I live with an anti-service dog. I live with a dog that's designed to cause me PTSD, but that's a whole other story. Thank you so much, man. I, I, I lived in L.A. for years, and, and only moving back to New York, my wife had to have her midlife crisis and get this tiny yipping Pomeranian that is just the bane of my existence. 